The Bitcoin price has fallen over the weekend on news that Turkey has banned cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. Speaking with us today is Peter Grandich of Peter Grandich and Company. He's going to be talking about Bitcoin, the financial markets, and what he believes is still the biggest bull market opportunity right now. Peter, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure. Actually, the pleasure is all mine, David. Thank you very much, Peter. We're going to be talking about what you believe is the biggest bubble right now. We're going to get into that. But first, let's talk about Bitcoin, because you and I spoke offline and you, you said in your words, you came out of the closet, so to speak, on being bearish on Bitcoin. Well, first of all, I've, I've worked with you for quite a while. I, this was not an entirely a surprise to me, given that you were a little bit on the fence about Bitcoin before when I asked you about it. But now you're a little more overt and open about how you think Bitcoin prices will correct. So tell us about that and why you think that, uh, why is it that uh, you've been getting hate mail from the crypto community? Well, that's only been in the last few days after uh, so-called coming out of the closet uh, aggressively, uh, tying it to the uh, IPO of Coinbase. So as you're, as you're correct, I've always been a believer in the cryptocurrencies. And when Bitcoin was much less expensive, I didn't have issues when clients and friends asked me, should they own some? But as you know, in recent weeks uh, up to that uh, IPO, because of the tremendous gains, and simply just before those reasons, uh, I began to certainly to anyone that wanted to listen to suggest maybe it's time to take something off the table. But because the uh, the commentary and the the not only enthusiasm but the the arrogance and certainty that people were expressing and and numbers every day being tossed out five to ten times to 20 times higher than even current prices, it suggested to me that uh, tying into the Coinbase IPO, it was time at least to say to people, I, I really just don't think you should own it anymore. I mean, I just think it's 65,000 or wherever it was exactly around that area when I said it, even if it doubles from here, there were a lot of other things that I felt could still double, mm -hmm. uh, especially like in, in a market I know we're going to talk about, but not have the big risk of a loss of principle. So I spoke about that. And of course, the, you know, the, the hate mail grew exponentially uh, at, as soon as that hit, you know, out there and people circulate that. But again, uh, the biggest fear that I ever had, you talked about Turkey, was that regulatory people had not come out and made their comments on what side of the so-called coin are they going to end on. And my feeling was that governments are never going to support Bitcoin once it gets past just the speculative trade, which it was starting to. And I think in the coming days and weeks, we're going to see that more and more that governments are really going to be outspoken on a negative basis on the Bitcoins of the world. Peter, you're not the only person I've spoken to who is somewhat negative or bearish on Bitcoin. We're a variety of different reasons I've heard bearish cases on Bitcoin. The counter arguments usually from the crypto community where people who believe in Bitcoin are usually, well, you don't understand Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin has a volatility profile that's unique in its own. It's not like any other asset. What goes up must come down. Maybe it's come down a little bit from its highs this weekend, but it's still on an upward trajectory. You know, we've seen it correct 80%, only to skyrocket 10,000% the next year. How would you respond to any of these counter, counter arguments? Well, I'm probably going to give you the answer that none of those other people who've been crushed, I know some of the names, they've been bearish for years on it. I wasn't that case, but here's, here's my response to everybody. I've been at this going in my 38th year. I've watched Wall Street promote 
and, and and recommend if that's the original word, but more promote and hype. And I've never seen them do a better job in achieving something than they've done in Bitcoin. Here's what I've never seen. I've never seen the last sentence of that story end with, and the general public lived happily ever after. It, it just never has happened. This may be the first, and I'll be the first to come out and say, wow, you were right. It really did get to 200 or 500,000 or what have you. But right now, I consider it the most crowded, overcrowded uh, boat I've ever saw. In fact, I used that in my work to show people uh, an extremely crowded boat. And then I actually took, when gold got under 1,700, an empty boat. And I said, I just feel much more comfortable on the empty boat than the overcrowded boat. So there are a lot of other reasons. And time will tell. I, don't, I think that you're right. I think the jury is still out. I would say that this this is not a, a certainty that it's reached its peak, but for me and the way I look at things and the way I value things, and maybe people say I've been only here 37 years and the people that only been here 12 months seem to know more, I'll ever on what I've learned over 37 years and 37 years told me it was time to move on from something like Bitcoin. Okay, Peter, does this go back to your investing principle that you usually don't go into something that you believe is a crowded trade that uh, even though the masses like it very much and are, in your words, promoting it like never, like never before seen on any other asset, why, why would that not be a bullish case? Why would you not ride the wave, jump on the bandwagon, ride it to the moon? Well, early on, the masses together can make money, and that's what we saw. And that's why you had the gains that you spoke about. You've had the retracements and the rise. The problem now is, is that since it became more widely known, and exposure, it's opened the eyes and ears to the government and the regulators. And governments have already started to speak negatively. The ECB president has come out negatively. India has spoken quite openly about wanting to ban it. China is sending out vibes that it would look to see something that it would like to have other than Bitcoin. So to tell you the truth is it's nice to have investment bankers, but you know what, David? 20 or 30 years ago, when penny stocks used to be promoted like Bitcoin's been promoted, they were throwing people out of the business for saying that something can go up 20 or 30 times without any risk. And the one thing that was missing in all of this was any caution. I've never heard anyone that predicted those things going up even give the slightest caution that it might not work or it might not be everything for everybody. And whenever that's happened in any product I've seen in 37 years, it ends up a bad story in the end. All right, um, I'm gonna move on to the financial markets after this question, but let me just try to play devil's advocate. Let me try to convince you to buy Bitcoin. Let's just play this little fun game here right now. Now, uh, <laughs> I may not be successful, but let, let me just try for the sake of argument. Now, you have mentioned penny stocks before as an example of things that have been hyped up and crashed and not ended well for the general public. I agree with that. But so take this into consideration. Bitcoin has a much higher market capitalization than penny stocks. By definition, it can't be. It has a $1 trillion market cap now. Institutions are adopting it. Governments are using it around the world as alternative forms of payment in some cases. We're seeing Visa, PayPal adopting Bitcoin as a form of payment on their platform so people can actually now go and buy it. We've got companies like Tesla offering to sell their cars using Bitcoin. You can buy a Tesla vehicle now using Bitcoin. So we've seen adoption on this, on this thing, this asset, like we've never seen before. It's being adopted on all levels 
not just the private investor being suckered into the, to the penny stock mantra. How would you respond to that? What you've seen in each area that you spoke of was a handful of companies within that industry sector. Taking, forgetting them out that Wall Street, because Wall, listen, as far as I'm concerned, since you want to have a real debate, as far as I'm concerned, most of those people that you speak about, mm -hmm. you could toss them off the Empire State Building and all the way down, they all say the same thing. Hey, so far, so good. So I'm not going to depend on those people to give me proper balanced advice. Yes, it's true. A handful of groups and people within certain industries have tried to legitimize it. But to be considered a widely used acceptable factor, most importantly by true government regulators and the key people in government now are central bankers, has not been the case. So until that happens, I will stand here and disagree with you respectfully. I believe the point you make is valid, and that's the reason why people are buying it. I see the cup half empty. You see the cup half full. We'll soon see who ends up with the better part of the cup. All right. Well, uh, the cup is half filled, says the diplomat, the neutral diplomat. Let's move on to the financial uh, markets now, Peter. You were talking to me offline about what you see is the biggest bubble of all time. What are you referring to exactly? Well, the last two financial uh, crises that were triggered, 2008 and 2000, which over half of financial advisors and 80% of the young public has never even experienced, uh, were centered primarily in, in one or two industries. The last one was mortgage and real estate, which was the cause that led to the overall crisis. And before that, it was the internet bubble. Now, unfortunately, there's a much more widespread overvaluation, uh, uh, enthusiasm beyond belief in a, in a wide variety of sectors at a time when socially, politically, and even economically, both here and abroad, but I focus mostly here for the US, we're in some very, very deep troubled times, perhaps the most troubled times for America ever. So uh, it, it's very hard. And most importantly, in the past, we've been either economically sound to come out of those. Well, now we have almost 30 trillion. Uh, when I started in the business, we were the world's largest creditor nation. But even more importantly is there's no more political will that you could count on that if suddenly tomorrow there was a world or U.S. financial crisis that both parties can cross the aisle and work together to solve it. I, I don't even think they could be in the same room. So I think there's a lot of differences now where financial markets have become overvalued or what have you than the last two crises. And I think there's a far less chance to come to an easier way to solve it, I think it would be far more difficult this time around. All right. So financial markets are overvalued. What should investors do then? Should they be shorting? Should they be getting out, stocking up in cash? What do you, what's your advice? Well, I, I never like people to be shorting because it's a, it, 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 to many people, it's un-American. It's like betting the don't pass on the crap table. Even though at a crap table, the pass line and the don't pass line basically offer the same opportunity. Very few people go to the don't pass because it's like on American. It's the same yeah. thing about shorting. What I do think people should recognize is, is that the sooner they're going to need their principal, the more conservative they should be. So their age is probably going to pay a, a, a lot of reason to how much conservative they should be and not have 
total exposure to general equities. Now, I talked about cash and everybody goes, why do you want to own the dollar? I don't want to own the dollar. I just backed up the truck to buy gold. But mm -hmm. I want to have cash because I think assets in general, and perhaps as early as a year, but certainly in the next few years, are going to be a lot cheaper because I see a major downturn coming. So I do want to own cash, and I have not want to have cash up until now. If I wasn't in the stock market, I was fully in gold. If I wasn't in gold, I was fully in uranium and gold, then I was in copper. But now cash is an important part of my segment, even though it doesn't earn anything, but I think its purchasing power of general assets is going to become worthy in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about gold in just a bit. I want to ask you about taxes, corporate taxes, if that's a risk for you as well as valuations or if you are writing that off as a non-event. As you know, the Biden administration has proposed a $2 trillion stimulus plan. The other side of the coin of that plan now, Peter, is an increase in corporate taxes. And Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, uh, has actually proposed that the G20 countries all raise their corporate taxes together. What does this mean for investors? Well, corporate taxes uh, are going to go up, just as as I've said, all taxes are going to go up. You, you can't, listen, in 2019, we had one of our best years. You can say it was Trump, you can say it wasn't Trump, whatever it was, but we had a very, very good year economically as far as the government was concerned, because we took in almost over $3.5 trillion in tax revenue. Our interest bill on our current debt at the time was $440 billion. So it was like 12 to 14%. We're approaching $30 trillion in hard debt now, okay? Now we hear that someday interest rates are going to revert back to normal and things are going to get better and we'll all be living happily ever after. So let's buy that argument for a second. Okay. And rates just go back to 4 or 5%, which weren't a very high rate uh, by most people. We're going to be looking at an interest rate bill in the United States between a billion and a billion and a half or almost half of the total revenue that the country took in. So that you can escape. So not only are we going to see corporate taxes going up, but we're going to see taxes going up in states and cities who don't have printing presses. So taxes are a key thing. But if I may, David, and this is an area which is still where I focus on and it's, you know, state planning. The government, Yellen, is talking about two things that, and one, it petrifies me. Uh, we know they're going to lower the level of the estate tax or the inheritance tax. They're going to, we're going to probably see it shrink from, you know, 11 to 12 million down to as much as little as one or two million, and you're going to have to pay estate tax. Now, I hate estate taxes. I think it's very unfair. You work your whole life, you pay taxes, they got your money. Now you finally save something to finally pass on to your loved ones, and they're going to tax that again. But that's going to go on. The second thing that Biden is speaking about that's very concerning is he wants to eliminate or greatly reduce the stepped up basis. So now when you die and you leave stock to your family, you use the current price when the person passed as their cost. He wants it to revert back to whatever the original was. Yeah. Well, that causes a lot of problems. But the biggest issue, and Yellen is the biggest advocate of this, and they want to tax unrealized capital gains. And I don't think the general public understands what they're talking about. That means we buy a stock now and we're up a thousand dollars on the December 30th. 
come the tax, it said they make it 20%. We own 20% on a thousand. But on January 3rd, there's bad news on that stock and it goes down below what we pay for it. We still owe that tax. And then how do you do unrealized capital gains on people that invested in jewelry, art, uh, antique cars? It opens up a, a, a box that is so bad. And on top of this, we now want to do something giving so, so, some certain people who didn't live up to their obligation, student debt, we want to get away with that, which we're only going to have to raise more tax money to make up for. So there are a whole host of things that the Biden administration, excuse me, it should really be called the Biden-Harris administration, they want to bring in things that are just not good for long-term investments because it's going to take money away from markets. All right, the debt forgiveness plan. They're 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 offering different plans now. Um, first of all, is this going to make a significant impact on people currently holding student debts? Is this going to actually help people? And second part of the question: How would they finance it? Well, by the forgiveness, it's not really financing. They're just taking it off and saying, "Okay, you don't own it." But what about a person like me that worked real hard? My wife worked real hard. We sent our kid to college. We either paid it off or we borrowed and we paid the loan, uh, those people that they're forgiving, they weren't charged usury rates. They paid the same rates I did. They got their education the same way my child got it. But now because they supposedly uh, are suffering from it and we relieve them of the burden, well, that burden is still going to be a, a need for the tax to be replaced. The government's going to need that money that it was depending on to come in and make it up somewhere else. So people like me who did the right thing are going to be taxed now for that. So for the right thing, I'm going to pay twice. And it's here's the Pandora's box. It won't stop at student debt. The next thing will be is, hey, what about all the people that have government mortgages and they're struggling? Why don't we forgive that too? And where do we get to the point where we don't stop? And at the end, the person that pays is still the hardworking person that's paying taxes. And, and, and that's the real, if you want to ask me what could upset and cause the Democrats to lose control in our governments here, as much as people think it's because of what's happening socially, it's taxation. That's what this whole country was formed on. The people that were here just got tired of Great Britain taxing them to death. And that's going to be the, the, the albatross for the Democratic Party if they go through with this. Just off topic for a second here. If I, if I were at college and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm planning tuitions and whatnot, I'm thinking, okay, Biden wants to grant $10,000 of debt forgiveness for everybody. I'm just going to raise my tuition by $10,000 because I know that extra $10,000 the government is essentially going to pay for. Isn't that just a subsidy? Wouldn't that make tuition go up even more? And what you're hitting on, David, which no one seems to be talking about in the media, is the original culprit of all this. The two biggest things that have increased in the United States in terms of costs is medical and education. Yeah, and right. no one is going and looking at the colleges and universities who have charged sky high prices each and every year going up and up. And one of the reasons children and families had to borrow so much. And that should be where the focus should be. There should be a freeze. They should not be able to be able to raise their costs in the manner that they have. So th there are a whole lot of things coming that, again, that haven't been priced into the market or talked about because everybody's caught up in the excitement, which normally happens in bubbles. But eventually when the bubble breaks, all these issues and more that you and I spoke about just a little bit about today are going to come back to haunt us.
where are we right now in the commodity cycle?